Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, Ontario takes another step in reopening the economy. Everyone's pitching in and pulling in the same direction. I'm, I'm just so grateful. Uh, we've come so, so, so far. And uh, we're, we're going to continue moving in, hopefully, in this direction. Andrew Scheer renews his calls for Parliament to sit more often. As we did last time, we are going to propose a responsible work plan. Uh, less than 338, fewer than 338 people in the House of Commons. Uh, a representation from each caucus that will respect public health directives, but allow members of Parliament to do their job. And accusations that outgoing leader Elizabeth May is consolidating her power within the Green Party. She named a new interim leader, and I would challenge anybody to find the last news story where the interim Green Party leader, Joanne Roberts, was saying anything for the party. It's Tuesday, May 19th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Susan Delacourt, columnist for the Toronto Star. Susan, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Mark. This week feels like a bit of a turning point, especially here in Ontario, where both of us live, uh, that uh, we're seeing the economy restarted in some areas. We're seeing a relaxing of restrictions, and this has been happening at other places and is about to happen in other places across the country. Do you feel like there has been a turning point recently and that in the coming days and weeks, we're going to start to see the results of all of this? Yeah, Ottawa was blessed this weekend uh, with uh, amazing summer weather, and it really did feel like uh, Ontarians, at least, and I think uh, Quebecers, too, which we can see right across the river, um, have this idea now that um, that's enough. (laughs) We did two months of this, and it's time to get out. I I saw a lot of uh, people gathering this weekend, um, you saw a lot of people uh, roaming around. I'm not sure they were violating the um, any any standards, but I, I think all the signals from Ontario is that this weekend the golf courses and marinas were open. This morning, retail stores open. I, I think that that there's a sense that people wanted to use the long weekend to get back to normal. On the other hand, though, <laughs> just to rain on that parade. There is, there are all kinds of signals coming from Ottawa uh, that that we're in this for a while. Uh, the Prime Minister on Friday extended the wage subsidy to August. I think uh, restaurants and uh, and bar owners around uh, Ontario and other provinces are realizing it's going to be months before anything resembles normal. And even when they do reopen. Uh, strict, strict guidelines on things. So uh, everybody's been talking about the economy roaring back. And what we are seeing, I think, from Ottawa in the past few days is that the economy is not roaring back anytime soon and that uh, Canadians have had the weirdest spring ever and should probably be um, braced for the weirdest summer ever as well. Yeah, it feels like uh, the good news is that we're moving back towards normal, but the bad news is it's going to take a lot longer to get there, I think, right? Yeah, I keep wondering what everybody would have said, what the reaction would have been if on March 13th 
uh, all governments, not just the Canadian government, said, okay, we're shutting down now and it will be six, seven months before we're back to normal. I think there would have been, you know, we've gradually eased into this. And uh, I'm seeing repeated polls showing that people are worried about things happening too early. I think Canadians are watching the United States really closely as well. And you even hear that from, you know, the the conservative premiers uh, who used to be the resistance are uh, on their weekly phone calls with the prime minister saying, please do not open the U.S. border. So I think... um, it's going to be a while before Canadians feel... I, I don't know how long. I think there's, there's differing research on how long it takes to make a habit. But I think two months, people have got used to the idea of extreme caution, or most Canadians anyway, and that uh, that there's going to be a cautious uh, sort of march back to something. In the context of this phase and this prolonged new normal, uh, before we go back to the old normal, if we go back to the old normal, um, the the conservative leader, the interim conservative leader, Andrew Scheer, uh, is saying that Parliament should be sitting more often. Uh, what do you think about that? Do we do we need to restore? some of the components of democracy that have been put on hold, uh, especially if this is going to last longer than we thought? Well, you know, this is a subject of active debate because we are having virtual question period, and we are having, my reports are from opposition politicians, uh, a remarkable degree of cooperation between the conservatives, between the government and the the opposition parties. There are daily phone calls. So I'm not sure that, um, I, I've made this argument before, I'm not sure that democracy has been suspended because question period has been. I think that um, Canadians have shown so far a pretty low tolerance for uh, partisanship and political games, although I do think you're seeing some of that coming back now. But I, I, I'm not sure that... Um, that Canadians are keen to see a daily question period or Parliament sitting with all the, you know, the attendant uh, risks that involves to the people who work in Parliament. I, I think normally right now, if these were normal times, Parliament would be winding down anyway, and it would be silly season. You and I would be talking about how it's a good idea that they're getting a break because things usually get wild by June. So I... I would think, you know, the time to talk about this is maybe September, but my information is that that certainly the government and the opposition parties are already talking, and and we are being well-served, and and MPs are are doing their job, they're listening to their constituents, and um, I'm not sure we need a parliament for that. All right, let's turn to the news that U.S. presidential candidate Joe Biden is saying that he will tear up the approval by Donald Trump of the Keystone XL pipeline if he becomes president. Uh, this is a sign, obviously, that, uh, that, that even though the current administration has been a tricky one to work with for the Canadian government, that uh, not everything will be ideal if Joe Biden becomes president. 
Yeah, it's odd because people have thought that Joe Biden and Trudeau are going to be natural allies, and and we we think that for no other reason than the fact that just before uh, Trump took power, we'll remember that Joe Biden made a state visit here with a huge, um, huge dinner, a huge speech in which he asked uh, Trudeau to take up the mantle that uh, that Obama had had as the, you know, a, a leader of progressive forces in the world. And uh, Biden and Trudeau's connections are deep. They, uh, one of the, his campaign manager, just before the pandemic hit, Joe Biden hired a campaign manager named General Mally Dillon, who has advised Trudeau, even spoke at liberal conventions on the similarities between Obama and Trudeau. So I think there's a there's a feeling that if Biden was elected, this whole Trump nightmare would be over and and some of the tensions between Canada and the United States would would be eased, but this is a sign that um not everything is going to fit together and uh and certainly uh as we've seen some reports that uh, Canadian oil is suddenly become a, an election issue in the United States. Um, it's it's unclear where the U.S. presidential race sits right now. It's so crazy right now with uh, pandemic politics. But I think the fact that this has crept through is also maybe a sign that we're returning to normal. Finally, let's talk about the future of the Green Party. One of the people running for the the Green Party leadership, uh, who is the leader of the Green Party in Quebec, uh, is saying that uh, Elizabeth May is consolidating her power right now in the party, even as she purportedly is moving on from the leadership. She's still the parliamentary leader. Her husband is on the party's federal council, and he's saying, Alex Terrell, who's running for the leadership, is saying that Elizabeth May, even as she is stepping down, she is continuing to make this a party of Elizabeth May. What do you think about that? Yeah, this has been a, a familiar complaint against Elizabeth May ever since she was elected Green Party leader. And there can be no doubt that she's put the Green Party on the map. I think those complaints have had to do with the fact that it, it's, it, despite all their hopes for a breakthrough, it seems to be only Elizabeth May. And she's got a couple of others now, Paul Manley and um, the new MP in, in Fredericton. There are more Green Party MPs, but certainly not the number they had wanted in the House of Commons. So there's a bit of bitterness about that left over. There are, you know, repeated suggestions that Elizabeth May continues to take up more than her space. And I was at her final press conference uh, as leader back in January where we had, uh, she she named a new interim leader. And I would challenge anybody to find the last news story where the interim Green Party leader, Joanne Roberts, was saying anything for the party. Elizabeth May, by, by holding the position in Parliament and just by being the force that she is, does command a lot of attention. And some of that is not her fault. I think um, what you're seeing, though, from Mr. Terrell is that it is her fault and that uh, that they have not seeded uh, or done a, a proper succession plan. All right. Susan, great to hear from you on all these topics today. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Mark. That's Susan Delacorte, columnist for the Toronto Star. This is a pandemic that has hit extremely hard in all sectors of the economy, and it is something that we are all uh, trying to, to figure out how to get through the best possible way.
Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Globe and Mail, Leonard Waverman argues we must speed up the recovery to avoid a depression. Waverman writes, Recent dire economic news underlines an urgent imperative for governments in Canada. We need to open our economies and soon. If we don't, we risk a depression that could trigger unprecedented hardship and deaths. We need a balance between the advice of health professionals and the alarm of economists over the long-term social and economic costs of cratering the economy. None of this is without risk, and there may be partial retreats. But we need a broad, coordinated approach to moving forward, and we have to do it now. In an editorial, the Toronto Star calls on senior governments to help cities with pandemic costs. The Star writes, In Ontario, Doug Ford said last week they will have to wait and see what the federal government comes up with. The Prime Minister has said the federal government will be there to work with the provinces. This you-go-first approach risks leaving cities twisting in the wind. If cities don't receive a major funding package from senior governments soon, they'll be forced to cut back on the programs and services they provide. And that will make our economic recovery even harder than it's already going to be. At the conversation, Lorian Hardcastle and Reed F. Beal argue now is a pivotal time for the government to act on drug shortages. They write, COVID-19 has exposed and magnified weaknesses within healthcare systems. Drug shortages, which are a growing problem in Canada, may be one example of this. Although the full effects are not yet known, it is notable that manufacturers reported 221 new shortages in April 2020, compared to 148 in March, 59 in February, and 104 in January. While the federal government's efforts may help to mitigate shortages during COVID-19, it should also seize this opportunity to develop long-term solutions to shortages which have affected the Canadian drug market for years. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. Andrew Scheer, the Conservative leader, will be holding a news conference this morning to call once again for more in-person sittings of Parliament. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more on what to watch for. Mark, according to the parliamentary schedule, next Monday the House of Commons is supposed to return to a full roster of in-person sittings. That, of course, is unlikely to happen, but Conservative leader Andrew Scheer is again championing his cause of ramping up in-person sittings of the House of Commons to four a week. Now, if this sounds familiar, it is. It's exactly what happened about three weeks ago when Parliament was supposed to return. The Green Party said it was not in favour of any in-person sittings of the House. The NDP and the Bloc Québécois agreed to a deal with the Liberals to institute two virtual sittings of the House and one in-person sitting with reduced numbers of the House per week. Now, we will see again some parliamentary brinksmanship as next Monday approaches and the schedule technically calls for a return of all parliamentarians in normal sittings. The Conservatives are again championing what they call is more accountability. They say that the ever-growing multi-billion dollar emergency spending by the government needs greater scrutiny. And they're also arguing that the rest of Canada is gradually reopening, the economy is opening up, and Canadians are returning to previously suspended activities. So, Mark, we will watch for that press conference at 10 a.m. this morning. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister is expected to give his daily news briefing about the coronavirus crisis, and Bloc Québécois leader Yves-François Blanchet will speak with the media from Ottawa. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Tuesday, May 19th. Tune into CPAC and CPAC.ca throughout the day today for continuing coverage of the coronavirus crisis. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.